that, okay? Genesis chapter number 11, Genesis chapter number 11, where we're going to be at this morning, Genesis chapter number 11, I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, if you would please, Genesis chapter number 11. Uh, again, I want to say thank you to our church folks that showed up last Sunday night that was able to be there at Shenandoah to help uh, me out. You guys gave me some courage, and uh, I appreciate you being there, and thank you so much for that. What a joy it was to get to fellowship with another church, and so I sure appreciate that also. And then, uh, ladies, please sign up by next Sunday, if you would, for that ladies thing at Emmanuel. Uh, I know it'll be an encouragement to my wife. She's uh, speaking in a couple sessions there, I believe, so... Uh, if you could be there to support her, I know that would be a tremendous blessing to her as well. But if you could sign up by next Sunday, we got to give them a count of how many are going to be coming. So even if you think you might be going, it's better for them to plan for more and have less than to not plan for enough. Okay, so make sure you sign up for that, and uh, I sure will appreciate that. Okay, Genesis chapter number 11, 11 starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them through uh, thoroughly. That, and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And they said, Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth and the lord came down to see the city which the tower uh city and the tower which the children of men builded and the lord said behold the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they imagine to do go to let us go now and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did confound their language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. I was reading this this week, and that word Babel uh, means confusion. You ever heard somebody say they were babbling so, and they couldn't understand it? Uh, it's confusion. And uh, in this area, it said they left the city that they were building. And all, first off, you know, they weren't supposed to be doing that. Uh, the Bible says there's only one way to God, and that's through uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were trying to build a tower. And they said, let us make a name. And it was all about them, what they wanted, what they thought, all these things. But they, weren't, they, they failed in what God wanted them to do. And I'm going to preach a message to you this, uh, this morning on when we fail in our faith. Not that faith fails, because faith doesn't fail, but when we fail uh, in our faith. And I'm going to talk about some reasons why we fail uh, in our faith this morning. Let's pray, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you, uh, Lord, just teach us and help us. Lord, thank you for what you do in my heart, uh, Lord, as I study. Lord, the help that you give me. Lord, I know that every message that I preach from this pulpit is something that you've helped me with. And Lord, I sure thank you for still working on me. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. Be with the service. Bless my mouth today. Help me to, Lord, only say that which you want me to say. Guide my mind and my heart. Lord, help me to not allow any distractions to hinder uh, what it is that you want to be said. Lord, I claim your promise that your word will not return void. Lord, if there's any here today that do not know you as our personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you today. 
And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. As I was going through this, it said that all the earth was of one language and of one speech. And that would be a nice thing, wouldn't it? We could just go wherever we wanted to, talk to whoever we wanted to. And uh, there would only be one language. But uh, there's many languages across this uh, world that you guys know of. And uh, all the way back here in Genesis 11, where all that began, is, uh, they began to build a tower uh, to heaven, thinking, let us make a name for ourselves, and we're going to build a tower to heaven. And I think they had some good intentions. They wanted to build a tower to heaven to be with God, but the fact is they failed in it because of what they were putting their faith in. See, they were putting their faith in their own abilities, and they were putting their faith in what they were able to accomplish, and uh, they were putting their faith in the fact that uh, they could build stuff and uh, go up, but they forgot about what faith ought to be in. Our faith ought to only rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, when we exercise our faith in the spiritual aspect of our life, our faith ought not to be in self, our faith not to be in the world, our faith ought not to be in anything but on God Himself. And as I was thinking about this on reasons why we fail, and I believe it's same in our life, is because of what we put our faith in. That's why we fail. And failures are an important part of our life because failures are part of our learning process. As we talk about failing in our faith, I don't want you to get this doom and gloom type mentality because uh, if you never fail at something, it shows that you never tried it. I was reading uh, through a book, and I don't like to always uh, bring up secular people, but I was reading an illustration this week, and I thought it was a, a fitting thing for the message. Wayne Gretzky, most of you know who that is, the hockey player that was a fabulous hockey player. He said this phrase, and it really stuck to my mind. He said, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. And I began to think about that phrase, and I began to think about, wow, how true that is. And they said in the statistics, he shot over 4,000 shots at the goal and made 800 of them. And he was one of the leading scorers in hockey and all these things. And he said, the fact is, he just kept shooting at it. And oftentimes we fail and we stumble and we give up and we throw in the towel and all these things. But failure, just so you understand, is an important part of the learning process. If you don't ever fail at something, it's because you're not trying it. But it's essential for success. The fact is, though, I don't want you to allow circumstances in your life that you know are going to cause you to fail. These are areas that are preventative to try to help you to understand you don't have to fail in these categories. Okay, You don't have to fail in these certain things because you put your faith in the right thing. Most of the time when we do that, it's refusing to learn from our failures is where our problem lies. Making the same mistake over and over and over again. Making that same bad decision and going that same route and living in that same sin over and over and over and over again, that's where the foolishness comes in. Not learning from our past mistakes. You know, one of the greatest things that I ever did in my life was learn from other people's mistakes. One of the greatest decisions of my life. Uh, I heard young people, even as a youth pastor, always say this. They said, it's my life, I'll learn from my own mistakes. And I thought, how dumb is that? The fact of the matter is, is that we have people that have lived life before we have. They know more than we do. And if we could just learn from the counsel and the life of other people, and that's why God gave us the word of God as well. He shows us things that we ought not to do. And here this nation was trying to build a tower to heaven. And the Lord came down to see what was going on. He already knew what was going on, but he comes down to do it. And he says, look, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. 
He said, they all speak in one language. They're all in one thing. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to stop this madness. And he scattered their language, changed their language. They couldn't understand each other. And then all of a sudden they were divided. And now God stopped that work because he was saying, listen, that's not my plan. Their faith was in something it shouldn't have been in. But refusing to learn from our failures is where foolishness comes in. And I'm going to talk about some of these things in our life uh, that happens in our life. First off, the reason that we fail in our faith, first of all, is because we defy the will of God for our life. We defy the will of God for our life. The word defy means to turn against or to push away from. We defy the will of God in a couple areas. First, the area of salvation. You know, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is an area in our lives that you better learn from because the eternity in your, of your soul depends on you learning from this. If you've defied the will of God in your life when it came to salvation, the fact is God brought you to this place at this time to help you understand that there is a God who loves you, who cares about you, who took your place on the cross, who did all of that in spite of our sin. He loved us when we were unlovable, and He's willing to save anyone who will come to Him. And I'm glad that his will is for all men to be saved. The Bible says, uh, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. You say, hey, preacher, you don't understand the life that I've lived. You don't understand the sin-filled uh, desires that I've had. Guess what every one of us have? Because we're born in the flesh. And that's just the nature of the flesh. But I'm glad that there was a, a plan that God had that when man had sinned in the garden and severed their relationship with God, that God had a plan to reunite man back with him. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that I can stand up here today with a peace in my heart, knowing that salvation is mine, that I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior, not because of anything that I have done, not by any works or any good merit, because I haven't done this or I haven't done that, but because of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary, bearing my sin upon Himself, dying, becoming the payment and that purchase price for salvation, dying, being buried, rising again, conquering death and hell, and offering a free gift to anyone who will receive it. And there was a day I received that gift. And praise the Lord for that. I'm glad old things were passed away at that time. Old, behold, all things are become new. But there's some people that will sit under the preaching of the word of God. They'll have the piercing of the Holy Spirit upon their heart. And they will defy the will of God in their life for salvation. And guess what? You're guaranteed failure in that aspect. There's going to come a day where you're going to stand at a great white throne judgment. And the God who gave you multiple chances of going to heaven is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You say, preacher, that's not fair. A loving God wouldn't do that. No, a loving God's telling you this. Hey, there's a man of God that's preaching the word of God, that the word of God is telling you that you need to come to Jesus now in salvation. But when you defy the will of God in that area, you're guaranteed failure. You're guaranteed failure. You're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. But you know what? You don't have to fail in that area. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have to fail when it comes to putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's many people that I talk to that say, well, I'm a good person. The Bible says there's none good but one, and that's God. We're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It, it breaks my heart sometimes when I talk to people about the Lord, and they say, oh, preacher, I'm not a sinner. 
I've not done anything wrong. They've been desensitized and duped to the fact that they think because they're not a murderer, because they're not somebody that's on uh, the uh, broken any of the laws of the land, basically, to put themselves in jail, that they're still uh, perfect. And that's not true. The Bible says that we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's another area to defy the will of God in your life, and that's your service for Him. The Bible says... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I do not believe in a permissive will of God. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't believe that God has a best plan, a medium plan, and a lower plan for your life. That word where it says that good and acceptable and perfect will of God are all words modifying one word, will. That means God's will is good, God's will is perfect, and God's will is acceptable. They're not three different categories of God's will for your life. God has a plan for you in service. And if you defy that plan for service, you're going to fail in reaching the goal that God had for your life. I believe in a perfect will of God. That God has a perfect will for every child of God. Now listen, God allows good things to take place in our life because of His mercy and His grace. But God's perfect will He has for every one of His children. And sometimes we defy the will of God in that area of service. God says, hey, I want you to do this. And we say, God, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to serve you in this area. Oh, we think we're still doing some good things, but we're not doing what God wanted us to do. There's been people in my life that have come to me and said, Preacher, I just can't figure out why I just can't fit in in this area that I'm serving in. And it's because God called them into a different area of service. But they just didn't want to do that. They're not comfortable in that area and they're more comfortable over here. But they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone and do what God's will was for their life. And they seem to fail, it seems like, all the time. And they wonder why. Because I'll tell you why, we defy the will of God. I don't know about you in this room. Maybe God's called some people to be Sunday school teachers. But they just say, God, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. Guess what? I don't have the ability to preach. I don't have the ability to pastor. God's the one that gives us those abilities. God's the one that makes those things take place. God's the one that that helps us and gives us the tools that we need in order to succeed in our Christian life. Every one of us are destined for failure when we try to do things our way. When we try to do things in our own strength and our own ability, just like these people trying to build a tower uh, of confusion to get to heaven, uh, the fact of the matter is this, that when we do it our way, we're guaranteed failure. When we do it our way, not God's way. There may be some in here that God said, hey, I want you to start a bus route. I want you to go around the city and I want you to pick up people and I want you to bring them back to church. And we say, God, I just can't do that. I don't like little kids, Lord. I don't want to deal with that. I don't, I don't like doing that. But the fact is, they need Jesus just as well. And you may say, well, I'm serving in this area, but God called you in this area, and you'd be more effective in this area, but you're doing this because that's what you want, not what God wants. And we defy the will of God, and we wonder why we fail. We wonder why we fail. It's because we defy the will of God. In the area of salvation, maybe you're going to die and go to hell because you defy God's will for your life. He wants you to be saved. Maybe you're going to live a life of misery and confusion in your Christian life because you defied the will of God in the area of service. I wonder what area God's put you in. 
I wonder if you're willing just to serve in any aspect God says. If God says, I need somebody in this category, you say, Lord, here am I. Lord, here am I. You understand there's different people that have different talents and different abilities. If it were, uh, God has not called me into a musical talent. You say, why? I don't have any. I don't have musical ability, okay? God hasn't given me that. And the fact is, I hear these young people playing on the piano and people like that, and I just think, Lord hadn't called me to that. But you know what? If I said, you know what? I want to sit down and I want to play the piano, all of you would be in misery if I tried to play it. If I tried to do it my way and not God's way, you all would be sitting there saying, Lord, please, can you let him stop? But see, God has given us all a specific skill set that we need to be using for God. But oftentimes we're not comfortable in that because it's an area that, well, we've never stepped out into that. And listen, you're guaranteed failure if you never step out and try. But failure is not necessarily a bad thing when you step out and done it. Failure is bad when you give up and you quit. The Bible says a just man falls seven times and rises up again. The fact of the matter is, is in the Christian life, there's going to be stumbles. There's going to be times that you trip up, but you need to get up, wipe the dust off of you, and keep on going for God. But oftentimes, we just defy the will of God completely in the area of service. We say, God, I don't want to do that. This is an area I'm not comfortable with, so we're not willing to do it. You understand when God does some of the biggest works or when you get outside of your comfort zone? That's when God does some of the biggest works. God does some of the biggest works in our life, but I believe our churches are failing today because God's people defy the will of God in the area of service. They just say, God, I want to do what's comfortable for me. Second area is not only defying the will of God, but disobeying with partial obedience. You say, what are you talking about? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. You understand that partial obedience is disobedience you say what are you getting at look at first samuel chapter number 15 first samuel 15 and verse number 13 is where we'll start and samuel came to saul and saul said unto him blessed be thou of the lord i have performed the commandment of the lord now if you know the the bible in this passage of scripture what was god's commandment to king saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. That's what he told him. And Samuel said, What meaneth then the, this bleeding of the sheep in mine ear and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou hast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And when the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord had sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took up the spoil and the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Look at this phrase. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. I believe we defy the will of God in areas where we're just not willing to do it, but sometimes we defy God's will or we fail in our faith because we only partially obey God. We only do part of what he says to do. See, Saul came to this place in his life where he went and he utterly destroyed most of the Amalekites. But he kept Agag and he kept the spoils and he kept all those things and he tried to sound spiritual. He tried to say, oh, well, I brought Agag and all the rest of the things to sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm going to make a sacrifice unto God. But that's not what God told him to do. God said, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Utterly destroy them. But he didn't do it. He partially obeyed. One thing my wife and I have tried to teach our kids is that partial obedience is disobedience. If we tell you to go out and do something and you do half of it, you did not obey. You got to do it completely. All the way, right away, and in a happy way. That's obedience. That's how we ought to be. When God says, Faith Baptist Church, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, well, God, I, I, I can't do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to send a missionary out to the foreign field and I'm going to give to missions. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's an outstanding thing to do. But if you're not telling people about the gospel yourself, you missed out on part of what God told you to do. God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When he says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Acts 1, 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The problem in the book of Acts was for the first uh, so many chapters, they were just there in Jerusalem. God had to stir their life up and allow persecution to come to get the gospel out of Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria. Why? Because they were just partially obeying. They were doing what they needed to do in Jerusalem, but they hadn't gone any further than that. And God wants us to go out and give the gospel to everybody we come in contact with. But if all we're ever doing is sending people to the mission field, that's a good thing to do, but it's partial obedience. you got to give the gospel here in our Jerusalem. Well, maybe you're witnessing here, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But God wants it to go everywhere. He wants it to go into all the world. So how do we do that? If we're not giving in the area of missions, guess what? We need to start. Why? Because we need to help get missionaries out so they can give the gospel and be an extension of our church. To give the gospel wherever we go. There's many other areas we could talk about, but this partial obedience is disobeying the will of God for our lives. We'll obey part of it. We'll do part of what God says to do. In Joshua chapter 7, we hear about the walls of Jericho. I'm not going to have you turn there for sake of time. But in these areas, uh, uh, Joshua chapter 7, we're going to get to here in just a second. God gave them a command. God told them, he said, when when the walls fall down, I want you to go wipe out Jericho and don't touch anything. Don't take anything that they have. 
And guess what? They went in and they wiped out Jericho. But one person disobeyed God. Disobeyed what God said. You said, oh, really? One person really makes that big of a difference? See, in these areas of your life where we fail is because we either defy the will of God, we just choose not to do any of it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or we partially obey. We disobey to a certain extent. Listen, you're going to fail every time when you only partially obey. You say, why? Oh, God's going to bless in certain areas because you're doing certain things, but you're not going to reach the full potential that God wants you to if you're not doing the whole counsel of God. If I get up here and I only preach certain things, if I only say, well, you know what, Brother Eddie, I can only preach loving messages, not messages that sometimes step on people's toes. I wouldn't be doing what the Lord tells me to do. You know why? Because he said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So there needs to be times of exhortation. There needs to be times of rebuke. There needs to be time of reproof. And by the way, church, don't think I never get reproved and rebuked. Because every time I open this book and I study for a message, guess what happens to me? The Holy Spirit of God reproves and rebukes and exhorts. And so the fact of the matter is we need to just be willing to obey God completely. The third thing, area is why we fail in our faith is not just because of defying the will of God or disobeying the will of God, but the defilement of God's plan. Allowing dirt to get into our life. Joshua 7, we talked about when he, Achan took of that Babylonian garment and that wedge of gold and he hid it in his tent. Now here they come in Joshua chapter 7 and there's a little enemy called Ai. And man, Ai was really no match for the children of Israel. They had just accomplished an impossible task through the will of God. And uh, they saw Jericho fall, this walled city. And so now some spies go out and they see this little village of Ai. And they come back to Joshua. And they're like, Joshua, listen, there's no need to send all of us out there. This is is not going to be hard at all. We'll just go out there. We're better swordsmen than they are, all this stuff. This isn't going to be bad. We're going to wipe them off the face of the ground. We're just going to come back and eat supper that night. You know, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what they said, but that's kind of their attitudes. Well, here they go out to fight against Ai, and because somebody had disobeyed the Lord, the Bible says 36 of the Israelites died. And that little village of Ai, that little city, that little enemy, chased them out of there. You say, well, how could this happen? I'll tell you why. Because one person, this defilement of God's plan, caused the anger of the Lord to be kindled against the entire nation of Israel. And you say, well, that's not really fair that one person can mess up what God's wanting to do. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.18, it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You understand that your actions do affect everybody around you. Your actions can have consequences to other people. You say, oh, really, that's not true. Yes, it is. You think about somebody who gets drunk. They get into a car, and there's nobody else in that car with them, but they're driving down the road, and they get into an accident, and they hit somebody else, and they kill the person in that car. That other person did nothing wrong that day. They were driving home from work, whatever it may be. But this person, their bad decision affected that other person. Our sinful actions affect other people. And when we defile God's plan, our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. 
Our body is something that the Holy Spirit of God indwelled, lives inside of us when we get saved. And he says to not defile the temple of God. It's our, our, our privilege to be housing the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what are you talking about? If he indwells us, lives inside of us, as we get saved, the fact of the matter is we take him everywhere we go. He's exposed to the things that you and I do. And if we defile it, you say, well, what happened in all of this? God then tells Joshua what took place. He says, hey, there's somebody in the camp. There's sin in the camp. Somebody took of what I told them not to take of. There's wickedness in the nation of Israel. And so Joshua brings them, and it comes back to Achan, and Achan comes in, and he begins to tell them, and it says this, that he purged the nation. How did he do it? Well, Achan lost his life. Achan's family lost their life. Everything Achan had, it was all burned. Why? Because they had to get rid of what it was that was defiling God's plan. I wonder what it is in our life that we're just not willing to let go of. We wonder why we continue to fail. We wonder why we keep tripping up. We wonder why we can't get victory over these certain things. And here's the reason why. We're just not willing to give it to God. We're just not willing to let God purge it out of our life. We're not willing to come down to an old altar and say, God, there's been areas in my life that I've been defiling your plan and going forth. And listen, God, I'm done with it. God, I'm going to give it to you. We're just not willing to do that. And we wonder why we fail in our faith. See, these people tried to trust in their own abilities, their own mindset, their own way of doing things in Genesis 11 when they were trying to build this tower. But you know what they were doing? They were defiling God's plan. They were trying to say works could get you to heaven. And he didn't say works get you to heaven. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what they were doing by building a tower to heaven? Is They were defiling God's plan. And you know what happens when we try to say that we can live our life the way we want to live it, and then God's just supposed to be okay with that? We defile God's plan. Because as a child of God, the Bible says you're bought with a price. It says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That means you belong to Him. You are God's possession. It's not your life to do what you want to do. It's not your life to live the way you want to live it. It's your job to live holy, righteous, and godly in this present world. What happens when you stumble? You get up, you ask for forgiveness, and you keep on going for God. You keep on going. But one of the biggest problems is, is we keep falling into that same thing, that same thing, that same thing, that same thing over and over again. And I'll tell you why people do that. There's been times people have come and counseled with me and said, Preacher, I just don't understand why I can't get victory over this area in my life. And nine times out of eight, and my math's correct on that, okay? That means every time, here's the reason. They disobey God's will and they defile God's plan. Every time. You say, what does that mean? They can't get victory over it because they just refuse to let God have 100% control. Oh, they want God to have 90. But they want to keep charge of 10. 
Listen, God wants all of you. He wants all of you. Not just part of you, not most of you. God wants all of you. From the top of your head to the sole of your feet and everything even beyond that that can possess you at all, God wants it because you're his child. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. The defilement of God's plan. There's a principle in the Reformers Unanimous program that says this, it's easier to keep the heart clean than it is to clean it after it's been defiled. And whenever we try to, you ever had dirty dishes before that have just seemed like the grease got burned on it and it just seemed like it just sticks there and doesn't come off and it's got to soak for days and days and days before you can get it off. Listen, it's just so much easier, or, or, or a bedroom, you know, that has clothes everywhere all over the place and you've got this huge mess and you look at it and you think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a pain to clean up. It's just easier to keep it clean than it is to clean it after it's been messed up. Just the easiest way. Well, we're all guilty of these areas just physically in doing this, but we're guilty spiritually. As we let all this sin pile up and this defilement pile up, pile up, pile up, and then it's so much work to clean it up. When it's just so much easier just to keep short accounts with God. You say, what do you mean by that? Hey, every day I'm asking God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Daily. Daily. We ought to be doing that. Why? That we don't defile God's plan. We don't defile God's plan. The next reason is because of disbelief in God's ability. Disbelief in God's ability. Look at Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 6 says this, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Unbelief. You understand why some people, I believe, really defy the will of God is because they just don't believe God can change them. They don't believe God can change them. There's people that will not get saved because they just believe they're too far gone. They just don't believe it. Sometimes we don't serve God because we just don't believe God can ever use us in a, a certain way. We believe what Satan says rather than what God says. Part of the reason that we fail is we just don't believe in God's ability. How can we, who are saved, believe in God to save us from the charred walls of hell, but we can't believe God to give us the ability to serve Him in the areas He wants us to serve Him? We can't believe God to meet our needs in the morning. We can't believe God to help us through the valleys and the hard times. We can't trust God and believe God enough that uh, when, we, when we're faced with circumstances in our life, oh, we'll expect Him to, to take something that's dead and make it alive through salvation. We will believe Him in that, but we won't believe that He can provide our groceries tomorrow. We won't believe that He can uh, do exactly what He says He'll do and uh, heal our loved ones or this, that, and the other or whatever it may be. We don't believe God can do those things. See, the reason that a lot of us fail is because we just don't believe in God's ability. Let me ask you this question. What is God not able to do? There's nothing. There's nothing God cannot do. There's nothing God cannot do. You know what this little boy Hunter we're talking about? 
God can heal that boy right now if God saw fit to do it. God could do that. God could help Miss Mary Tetrick and heal her of cancer just like that. He can. But you know what happens oftentimes is we just don't believe that he can. It stops us from praying. It stops us from doing all that because we just don't believe it. I'm just not going to ask because I just don't believe it. I was reading another illustration this week. A guy said that he was uh, trying to get out in business. He knew there was an area of business that he was supposed to go into, and he began to try to go into it and ask people to pray for him in this area, but it just seemed like he never got the break he needed. He never got that, and he just said, I just quit asking people to pray because I was just embarrassed. I didn't believe that it would happen. He said, but once I just got over myself and I began believing, and God opened the doors that he wanted me to go through. And I began to go through those doors, just leaving it all in God's hands. God began to motivate and bring it to the place where it came to pass. See, most of the time our struggle is because we just don't believe it. We just don't believe it. I still believe, Brother Ron, that God can turn our nation around. I still believe it. I still believe that we can see revival in America. I still believe it. I still believe that people who say they don't, know, they don't believe in God, that their heart can be turned and they can trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. I still believe that those people that, uh, that, that are dead in their trespasses and sins can be made alive through the Lord Jesus Christ. I still believe that those that have been down and out can still find grace and mercy and help through these times of need. I still believe that. The problem is we don't ever help people and disciple people because we don't believe it ourselves. And we fail in our faith because of a disbelief in God's ability. So defying the will of God, disobeying the will of God, defilement of God's plan, disbelief in God's ability, a deficiency in our prayer life. A deficiency in our prayer life is one of the reasons we fail. You understand he says this, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What's that mean? Does that mean, Brother Aaron, that I'm supposed to walk around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just praying to God, not talking to anybody else? Is that what that means? No. It means I need to have an attitude of prayer. It means not only uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner do I talk to God. It means I have an attitude of prayer. That I go to God. When somebody says, hey, there's a need, boom, I go to God for it. When there's something that crosses my mind through a thought or something in my... I, I go to God about it. When my kids come through my mind about their future in life, I go to God about it. When there's a decision that I need to make regarding finances or regarding my family or regarding the future of the church, boom, I go to God about it. That attitude of prayer. I get a text message of somebody in the church that says, hey, so-and-so has a need, boom, we go to God about it. An attitude of prayer. See, that's what's going to turn our nation around. If my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Prayer is the key. He says, and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I'm not going to turn to all the verses or all this. I'm just going to reference some of them in the book of Proverbs. He says this, he that refuses to hear my word, even his prayer is an abomination. Woe. You understand God puts our lack of obedience to the word of God with the word abomination when we pray because we refuse to hear 
his word. And then he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He will not hear me. I don't know about you, but I want God to listen when I pray. I want God to hear me when I pray. I don't want it to be empty words or bounce off the ceiling, as we would say. I want when I ask the Lord for something, he's listening. He may not give me exactly what I want, but he hears and he knows. I don't want anything to hinder it from reaching the ear of God. I don't want anything to hinder God to have, and make God have to do this when I pray. But it's a deficiency in our prayer life. Oftentimes, we don't pray because, first off, we don't know how. See, the Bible says, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You understand prayer? You can learn how to pray. You can learn how to pray. When we go through and it talks about in the Bible gives us kind of that pattern, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He wasn't saying pray that word for word. He was giving us a recipe on how to pray. You understand? We don't say those things word for word. That's not the Lord's prayer, as you would say. He's just giving us an example of things that we need to talk about. Lord, thank you just for being you. Thank you for being God. Lord, forgive me of my trespasses and sins. Lord, help me provide the needs that we have. You know, going through, he's teaching us how to pray. You know, I believe the first thing you ought to do in prayer is, first off, thank God for who he is. It's the first thing you ought to do. Go to God thanking him for who he is. Second off, you need to get yourself cleansed. Ask him for forgiveness of your sins. Why? Because if I regard iniquity, the Lord will not hear me. So I need to get that cleansed out of my life. And then I go to God on behalf of others. Take others' needs first. Why? Because he tells us to put others first. And then I go to God with my needs and my heart that's going on in my life. Why? Because God gives us a pattern of how to pray. We need to learn how to pray. We learn how to go to God. It's not wrong to write things down and pray. Why? Because we're good at uh, having short-term memory. I believe all of us as children of God have ADD when it comes to prayer. Attention deficit disorder, right? We get there and we begin to pray and about 30 seconds into our prayer, we're thinking about dinner. Or 30 seconds into our prayer, we're wondering about this job that we've got to finish doing. Or 30 seconds into our prayer, we're sleeping. Why? Because we don't know how to pray. Listen, it's not wrong sometimes to walk around while you're praying. Stay awake. Write down a list and go through it and begin to read it. Nobody says you had to close your eyes when you pray all the time. Now, I believe if we're able to, we ought to respect and have some reverence before the Lord. But there's times in your life you need to walk around and pray. Talk to God. And you don't have to try to be dignified. Be who you are. Talk to God just the way that you are. But we have a deficiency in our prayer life. I want you to look also at uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We'll finish with this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 14. Verse 28 says this. For which of you intend to build a tower... And sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. 
lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beheld it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth, for, goeth to make war with another king, sitteth down not first, and counteth the cost, whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. In that passage, he said, which of you intended to build a tower, verse 28, and sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he is not or whether he be able to finish it? One of the reasons we fail, lastly, is because the demands of the task ahead of us aren't counted before we start the work. You say, what are you talking about? Are we in a position to finish the work God calls us to do? You say, what do you mean? Is there, am I ready for the task ahead? How do I do that? I put on the whole armor of God. I get equipped with everything God has for me so that I can finish it. When I start it, I want to finish it. Why? Because if we don't count the cost... We're going to fail. See, these guys, they went to build this tower, but they weren't having their faith in the right thing. Their faith was in their own abilities. And all this, and God says, oh, hold on a second. Put the brakes on. They're not finishing that tower. Why? Because they didn't understand what the cost was to get to heaven. The cost was Jesus. You say, well, Jesus in this passage, this is in Genesis. Jesus hasn't died yet. You understand that they still had sacrifices in that time to have a faith in what was going to take place on the cross. But once the Lamb of God came and said he died once for all, they didn't have to sacrifice anymore after that because he finished it. All that they did ahead of time was believing, looking forward to the cross. And what we did, it's still faith. It's still faith. Exercising faith in what was going to take place. But when we start a work for the Lord, we ought to finish it. We ought to finish it. It says others began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Oh, it's good to have the foundation. The Bible says that the foundation be destroyed. What can the righteous do? We've got to have a good foundation. But church, we also need some walls in our life. We need some barriers in our life. We need some boundaries. Nobody lives just on a foundation. You've got to have some walls. Walls are there for several things. Walls are there first to keep the weather out, to keep the, the storms out what walls are there for walls are there to keep those that wish to do us harm out walls are there to keep us from going out into it walls are there to protect us you understand why god gives us boundaries as a christian not to be mean to us not to cause us harm but god puts boundaries in our life to protect us from what's on the outside why do we at nighttime lock our doors? Why do we do it? Because we know that at any moment, somebody who means to do us harm or do something wrong could enter our home in the middle of the night and do something they're not supposed to do. Cause harm to those that we love. So we lock the doors. Why? So we feel safe. Right? So then why do we live our spiritual life with wide open doors where access of Satan can come in and destroy us. 
Well, I've got to be tolerant of all this. No, you don't have to tolerate sin. Young people, listen, your parents that are keeping you doing the right thing around the right people, you ought to thank God for them because they're trying to protect you and be part of that wall that God's building around you. A church that you come to that preaches the whole counsel of God, you ought to thank God for it because it's helping you count the cost of whether you can finish it or not. Because the fact of the matter is, if we don't put on the whole armor of God, we just put part of it on, we didn't count the cost of what it was going to take. God didn't say that the only thing I needed in my life was just a helmet of salvation. He said, I need to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That I'm able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Part of the reason we fail is we don't count the cost. You understand when you get saved, you're in a battle. You're fighting a war. And Satan's going to come at you with everything he can. And you've got to be ready to fight that fight. Paul said, I finished my course. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Well, how could he keep the faith? Because he didn't defy God's will. He didn't disobey the will of God. He, he didn't dirty up his life. He didn't disbelieve God's ability. He wasn't deficient in his prayer life. And he counted the cost of what it would take to finish. Listen, I wonder what areas of your life is causing you to fail. Listen, failure is part of life. We're, we're going to fail in certain things. We ought to learn from it. We ought to learn from it. Maybe there's some things in your life that you fit in some of these categories and you say, well, preacher, the you know, Holy Spirit spoke to me about that. Well, you can get it right today. You know what the wonderful thing about our God is? is he doesn't hold grudges. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful God we have. And you know what he's willing for you to do today? Just get it all cleaned up. Get it all cleaned up and succeed in the Christian life. See, babble meant confusion. I believe we have a lot of babblers in our churches a lot of people are just going through a lot of confusion because they're trying to do it their way rather than God's way. And every time you do it your way rather than God's way, you're going to fail. Oh, there may be seasons of sunshine, but the storm's coming. And you're going to fail if you don't walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed.